So we're, take, we're in the 13th chapter of Mark, verses 24 through 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Well, this week, um, we had an earthquake. Uh, I don't know if you were reading about it in the news or anything like that, but there was, there was a 4.1 earthquake, and you could apparently feel it all through the state of New Jersey as far as, as New York. They said you could feel the earthquake. Um, I didn't. I missed it completely. I have no idea when it was, but I saw friends posting about it. It was on the news. It was, it was a 4.1 actually down near Delaware. And so you could feel it from Virginia to New York. Now, my friends were posting about it. Did you feel the earthquake? That kind of thing. My friends in social media who are in California were laughing at us. They're like, you know, like 4.1. I mean, come on. You know, what's, what's, what's a 4.1? But one of the things that happens whenever you have earthquakes or other calamities is you have people start to uh, reference the apocalyptic passages in Scripture. They always start talking about, you know, don't forget in the Bible where it talks about earthquakes and it talks about famines and it talks about wars. And the thing about those passages is that, yes, it talks about them and talks about, uh, about these things as, as signs of the coming of Christ, but they're always happening. I mean, there's never a point in human history and the point of this globe where there aren't earthquakes and there aren't wars and there aren't famines, okay? So, so no matter where you look you're going to find that these things are happening. They're, they're constant. And, and so, you know, what do you do with that? What do you do when, when it starts talking about these foreboding times? As in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The, these very dark apocalyptic passages that talk about these calamities when we're actually in a world where these calamities happen all the time. They happen all the time to the point, that's why there's always someone predicting the second coming. Despite the fact that every time Jesus talks about it, he says, you don't know when it's going to be. Some people think they can outsmart God, that they've got God all figured out, and they have figured out when God's going to you know, send Jesus back because um, they do some random calculations. They've always been wrong. Eventually, I presume, one of them will be right. Okay. Or I think, Jesus, I think Jesus will only come when there's nobody predicting it. 
I think that's going to be the real sign. When nobody in the world is predicting the return of Jesus, that, that's when he'll come, just to, just to confound everybody. But you have these people who are constantly looking at this, but it's always happening. And when, and when it happens, it's frightening. I mean, when people talk about this, they talk about it in ways that frighten us, that scare us. And that's actually not supposed to be the way we think about it. You know, we, we live our lives with troubles, with calamities, capturing our attention. But I think that what Jesus is doing in talking about these things, these calamities, is he's, he's reminding us that, that fear is a distraction. See, every time Jesus talks about these things that are happening, you know, he, he's reminding us that what these things do is they make us not think about Jesus. And he's reminding us to think about it. See, things that scare you, things that frighten you, overwhelm your system. In fact, the brain works that way. Psychologists, you know, people who study the brain will tell you, fear hijacks your entire thinking system. So all the logic, you can spend all the time you want considering things logically, thinking it through, and all you have to do to cancel all of that out is make the person afraid. Politicians do it. Companies do it. They do it because fear overrides rationality. And it's partly a, a, an artifact of the survival instinct that we have in life. Right? That fear overrides everything else. And so fear ends up being a distraction from whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing. And so when Jesus says, you know, when you th see these things, know that he is near. I want us to think about this a little differently and not just think about nearness in terms of time, but nearness in terms of place. In, in fact, what he says here, you know that he is near at the very gates, which is not a reference to time so much as it is also a reference to, to location. To, to think of this in terms of whenever you think of fear, something scary. Can you recast this in your mind to be a reminder that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is near, that Jesus is, is always with us? To, to have this idea in our heads that trouble is accompanied by hope. See, we kind of need to have that. We kind of need to have the idea that whenever we see troubles that we're not just overwhelmed by them. I mean, you know, what is it whenever there's... Um, any kind of emergency situation that happens. So something, something goes berserk as it happens, whatever it is. So you're, you're in your house and a pipe bursts. Okay. Whenever something like that happens, if there's more than one of you around when it happens, there might be someone who panics. Right? And there might be someone who does what? keeps a level head, thinks about, okay, here's what we can do. Here's how we can re re react and respond to this, all right? Which is more hopeful? Which is more useful, all right? Just, just panicking at the fact that this has happened or be the person who says, okay, we can deal with this. 
we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And Jesus is using this to remind us, I think, that when it looks like everything is going wrong, remember, Jesus is near. God is in charge. Good is still present. Hope is still present. And then what you can do is look beyond the troubles and see hope. So I think this is the most important th- lesson that we can learn in, in our faith is that when everything seems to be going wrong, that we look past what's going wrong into the possibilities. That we look past what's going wrong into a way forward beyond it. See, when you see the signs that Jesus talks about, Don't think of this as a reason to panic. Think of it as a reason to hope. And think of it, and and then he, he gives us this extra reminder when he says, you know, you do not know when the master of the house will come. You you don't know when it's gonna be. And and I think the reason he has to play these against each other, I mean, you know, rationally sit back and think about this whole discourse of Jesus. When you see horrible things. Remember that God is near. But you don't know exactly when he's showing up. Those two concepts in tension are actually really important. They're really important because you need to know that Jesus is not abandoning you in your trouble. You need to know that in your trouble, in the hard times, God is there, God is near, God is accessible, God is with you, God is close by. But you also kind of need to remember that you don't know when he's showing up. Because what would happen if you knew when? You sit back. Oh, the plumber will be here in 30 minutes. You, you, sit, you sit back and you wait and you do nothing. And Jesus is trying to say, hey, wait a second. Don't, don't take this so literally that in the face of this you're just going to go, oh, great, Jesus is coming so I can sit back and do nothing. Instead, he reminds you that he's close and he's near, but you need to still keep doing what you are doing. You need to keep awake. You need to keep awake. That word awake is kind of interesting in in the Greek. The Greek word for being awake uh, has a few different meanings, and, and one of the meanings is also to be alive. It's the same word. It means three different things, and you can kind of tell how they're related. It, kind of mean, it means to be awake, it means to be aware, and it means to be alive. And what would it mean to be fully alive, even in the midst of things that are difficult in life? You know, I, I think it means that we stay focused on what's important, that we stay focused on what's good, that we stay focused on what's enjoyable. Um, I, don't know how many, I don't know if any of you remember this movie. It was not a very good movie. About 20 years ago, there was a movie called, I think, City of Angels with um, Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. All right, if you remember that movie, Nicolas Cage plays this angel who's, he's, he's an angel of death but not in the scary, horrible way. He shows up when people die to escort them to the next life. 
and, and the plot of the movie, it's 20 years old, so if you're, if you're worried about a 20-year-old spoiler, sorry. Uh, so the, the, the plot of the movie is that, he, he, is that he's like assigned to Meg Ryan, uh, and uh, he, uh, he falls in love with her. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an angel-human romance story. But he, he talks about his job, which is to escort these people after they die. And I always thought it was kind of, one of the things that stuck with me about the movie, which is otherwise not that memorable, uh, was him talking about what he says to people after they die. And, and what he says to people after they die is, what did you like most? That that's his question as he's escorting the recently departed into the next life, he asks them, what did you like most? And, and I thought that is a great question. You know? See, I, I love these kinds of questions that, that recast the way we approach life by looking at life from this end-of-life perspective. And what are the questions that you would ask? What are the questions you think God would ask of you? And I think that that's really closer to my understanding of the characterization of God, that, it, that I don't expect that God's going to hit me immediately with a barrage of, you shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't have done that, and you forgot to do this, you know. But rather, I, I think this idea of being asked, what did, you, what did you like, is a great thing to focus on. Were you, were you fully awake in your life? Were you awake to the things that were important, that, that brought true joy? And I think that fully awake in that way isn't to be heard narcissistically when it talks about what did you enjoy or things like that. I don't think that's to be seen narcissistically because I think we all kind of know that, that people who are truly awake in that sense have often devoted their lives to service to other people. That, that, I think that when we see people who've devoted their lives to a self-centered gain, we see them as people who have not lived fully alive. Th these are people who have not made the most of the time that they had. They lived for themselves instead of for others. But to be fully alive is to find these places of true joy and live into them. And live into that joy all the time, even when these pockets of darkness hit us. And even when these calamities come in our lives, that we continue to think about God, Jesus. That we think about what's important. That we think about where the joy is still to be found. And that we live fully alive. See, be fully alive. No matter what happens in your life, be fully alive. Don't, the worst part about troubles, about fear, is that it keeps us from living. I mean, we've all seen people live a period of their lives in fear. It's a terrible thing. It's, it, ultimately looks like and is a wasted time. When it's scary, look past it. 
When it's scary, remember that there is still hope. Remember that joy wins. By the way, this is why structurally there, there is a, a purpose to the liturgical calendar in, in traditional churches. It, it's why the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the year, is always a story about the second coming. It's always a story where Jesus talks about the return. Because, it, because one of our theological precepts is that as you start this sequence of texts, this 52-week sequence of texts, that you begin by thinking about the future. That you begin by thinking about what's going to be. So that we remain people of hope, that we remain people of the future, no matter what's happening in our lives. So when it looks bad, you remember Jesus is near. When it looks hopeless, you remember Jesus is coming. And you remember that not as a call to sit back and wait for it, but as a call to continue living as best as you can, to live as with as much, to be as fully alive as you can be going forward. Or else we've let the darkness win. Or else we've let the fear win. And, and I actually think that's the power of darkness. That's the power of the enemy is to make us afraid. Because when we're afraid, we will hunker down and we will turn inward. And we will miss the great gift that life is. Don't be distracted from the hope that is there. Don't be distracted from the joy that is still there no matter what's happening in your life. Because it's a gift. And in this season of gifts, we don't want to miss the greatest one of all. Amen.